Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Cleveland Guardians winning the series. Cleveland Guardians 8, Kansas City Royals 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. But we also have breaking news this morning, because late last night, I'm sure you've seen it. Actually, I guess it wasn't that late. Around dinner time last night, the Cleveland Guardians made a trade. They made a trade deadline trade. They traded shortstop Ahmed Rosario to the Los Angeles Dodgers, and in return are getting Noah Syndergaard and cash consideration. So basically, Dodgers are kind of giving them the money to pay for Noah Syndergaard for the rest of the season. So uh, a huge, kind of a huge trade, but also kind of not a huge trade. We're going to get into it, but first, we always talk the game first. That's right. I'm going to tease the trade conversation for after the game conversation. All right, so let's get into this win against the Royals. And, man, uh, what a fantastic showing by your Guardians offense. Now, it helped that Alex Marsh, the starter for the Royals, was pretty awful. I, he he really worked hard over two and two-thirds innings, uh, five hits, four runs, four walks, three strikeouts, a home run given up on 75 pitches. He's only hard hit five times, but, my God, did he have to work and throw 75 pitches. And we talked about this going into the game. A guy with a plus six ERA. Let's make him look like he has a plus six ERA. And that's exactly what we did in this game. We jump all over him. We balloon that ERA up to a 7.04 now uh, for Alex Marsh's uh, season. Not good. Uh, but the Guardians finally take advantage of a pitcher who's struggling. And uh, it starts with Jose Ramirez with a monster home run in the first inning. We're talking 30 out of 30 ballparks on this thing. Uh, he does strike out Quan looking to start the game, walks Andres Jimenez, and then Ramirez comes up. Let's go to the at-bat because I love this at-bat so much. Uh, he starts him off with a fastball up and away, and he gets a four-called strike. He just hits the edge up and away for a called strike, then tries to throw him two change-ups, misses off the plate, misses high and off the plate with two change-up. He's forced to come back and try to throw a strike with his fastball, and he throws him what I'm going to call a home-run derby fastball because that's what it looked like. This thing is right down the middle, and slightly elevated above the belt. This is exactly, exactly where you would want that batting practice coach to throw the ball during the home run derby. And Ramirez's swing, the bat speed, it's the one thing that StatCast doesn't measure, and it's the one thing I would love to know. I would love to know the bat speed difference between this swing and another swing from Jose Ramirez, because you could tell this was going to be a home run as he loaded, right? When they when they bring their hands back, right? Every batter kind of brings their hands back a little bit, brings that elbow back. It's called loading. And you could tell right from the moment Jose Ramirez brought those hands back, he was going to hit a home run on this pitch. He was going to demolish this pitch. It must have looked like a beach ball to him. And he hits this thing 108.2 miles per hour, 24-degree launch angle, 423 feet 
out to right field. Somehow, somehow it only had a 980 expected batting average. Are you out of your mind? When in the world wouldn't this have been a hit? This is this should be a thousand expected batting average. There's this was a no doubt about it. Absolute missile to right field. So a huge home run from Jose Ramirez, his 15th on the season. Uh, in his next at bat, they'd want nothing to do with him. Uh, they walk him, Marsh walks him on uh, four straight pitches, just dances all around the strike zone. And then uh, in his third at bat, uh, to lead off, uh, I don't know what inning was this that he, uh, I think it might have been uh, the third or the fourth inning, the fourth inning, to lead off the fourth inning. Uh, he comes up again, this time against uh, Jonathan Heasley, who had come out of the bullpen. And uh, Heasley's plan is to throw him change-ups. And uh, the first one, he drops in there for a called strike. The next one, he puts at his belt. This one is out over the plate. But, uh, man, Ramirez was ready for the changeup. Usually, he's hunting fastballs. But who knows? Maybe because Heasley threw him a changeup on his first Maybe the scouting report on Heasley said this guy's just going to throw you change-ups, so you might as well change your approach for that. But he was ready for the second change-up. It is out over the plate, and he drives it to center field, 101.4 miles per hour, 23-degree launch angle, 395 uh, out to center field. This one was a little bit different. It only would have been a home run in surprisingly only 7 out of 30 ballparks. I, I guess Cleveland doesn't have that deep of a center field or... Or other stadiums cut back a little more. But it uh it kind of one hops those seats in front of uh in front of the bullpens there. Actually, you know what? Really disappointed in the fan. Uh he had a chance, he had his glove, he had a chance for a play. Uh instead it ricochets off his glove and comes back on the field. Pretty disappointed in that fan. You gotta come up with that catch. Uh, <laughs> so Jose Ramirez, a multi-home run game. And uh, clearly uh, driving the offense on his DH day, uh, his rest day, he goes three for four, three runs scored, two home runs, three RBIs, and the walk. Uh, It's good stuff from Jose Ramirez. Uh, The run would come uh, later in this game in the sixth inning. And again, we, we talked about this, like the game of baseball, right? You could absolutely demolish two baseballs uh, earlier in the game. And then you can come up to lead off the sixth inning and take an excuse me swing uh, on a ball that was like breaking down at your feet and like check swing the ball down the third baseline, a 38.3 mile per hour exit velocity, a little dribbler down the third baseline, and it goes for a leadoff infield single. Uh, sometimes the game of baseball doesn't make any sense. And this this is one of those moments where the Kansas City Royals fans, I'm sure, were like, of course, of course that works today. Like, of course that goes for a hit. And not only does it go for a hit, but after a Naylor lineout, Brennan walks. And then uh, after David Fry strikeout, Tyler Freeman ropes a single at 101 miles per hour and drives in Jose Ramirez. Uh, you know, and just, I had this moment where, you know, remember Tyler Freeman's still a young guy, right? Still a very young guy in this team. It must be really cool to hit a single and, uh, have Jose Ramirez come in to score. You know, imagine talking to your parents that night and being like, Hey, how'd you do today? Well, I drove in Jose Ramirez. So that's a pretty darn good day for me. 
so yeah, so Ramirez all over this game offensively. Did he have one of the stolen bases? Because my God, we were running on uh, their catcher for mean today. He did have one of the stolen bases today. Jimenez, Arias, Jose Ramirez, and Brennan all have stolen bases off the catcher for mean, uh, who did not have himself a great day, clearly, uh, if they were running that wild on him. Not only that, but we got to talk about the Gabriel Arias score uh, in this game because Arias had one of the moments in this game in the second inning. Uh, he leads off the second in- inning with a 101 uh, mile per hour single, a really nice swing from Gabriel Arias. And uh, after he steals second base, Straw would strike out behind him, but Quan would come up, he would single. Arias would, I'm not going to say come flying around third because it actually didn't look it didn't look like he was at top speed coming around third when they showed him very quickly on camera. But it's a play at the plate. Fermin gets the ball, ends up kind of spread eagle across home plate, like splits his legs across home plate and left Arias one spot to slide and it was right between his legs and I I swear to God I have never seen that before he shoots the five hole and slides right between his legs taps the foot on the plate somehow before the tag comes down on his head on his shoulder Uh, originally called out after the review and a good job from Francona and the staff obviously it's not all Francona's decision but he's the one that's got to get out of the dugout quickly and indicate that he wants this thing challenged. Uh, Good thing they reviewed this thing because it's one of the slides of the year, right? It absolutely, this this slide should go down in highlight reels at the end of the season. Uh, Arias uh, right through the legs of the catcher for me. So fun stuff right there. Uh, So yeah, the Guardians offense, they score in the first four innings in each inning. They score a run. Uh, crooked numbers in the first and the fourth. Uh, it's good stuff. After Ramirez had that home run in the fourth, David Fry got himself a home run. And, man, Fry is really, really, this is right right on right. He's throwing him a bunch of sweepers in this at-bat. Well, two sweepers to be specific. And uh, Fry is just proving to be really, really solid offensively. I mean, he's going to have one, if he keeps this up, if he keeps this going, he's going to have one heck of a role here in Cleveland for the foreseeable future, bouncing between multiple positions and getting his bat in the lineup as much as he can. Uh, so he throws him a sweeper up and away that hits the outside edge for a called strike and then throws him another one down at the knees. It had a lot of break to it, more break than the first one. And uh, it's kind I can't even call it a hanging sweeper because this thing is down at the knees and fry just goes down and gets it again i would love to know the bat speed because it looks like fry had a ton of bat speed on this swing hits at 104.2 miles per hour 31 degree launch angle 398 out to left center field for a two-run home run this one i told you ramirez was seven out of 30 ballparks this one was 30 out of 30 ballparks so no doubt about it kind of high arcing home run from David Fry. And I don't you don't you want to see this guy hit every day now? Right? Don't you want him in that lineup every day? It's kind of the production that we thought we'd be getting from Josh Bell. 
And instead, we're getting it from David Fry. Not to take anything away from Bell, who has been improving, right? That OPS has been climbing as the summer's gone on. So Bell's giving you production, but what Fry is doing right now is what you expected uh, when we signed Josh Bell in the offseason. So, uh, yeah, so scoring in every inning of the first four innings, tacking on one more in the sixth. They would kind of need it because the bullpen would have its struggles. Each guy would give up, you know, hits in this game. In fact, everyone out of the bullpen, except for De Los Santos, would give up uh, multiple hits uh, in their inning of work. Uh, So the bullpen definitely, uh, you know, tiptoed through the end of the game. Uh, But they managed to kind of limit the damage. They limited them to three runs. And with that big eight-run cushion, uh, they're able to get out of things. They did have to work a little bit in this one because Gavin Williams only goes four innings. He pitches very well. Gavin Williams pitched very well in this one. He just could not seem to finish off at-bats. They had long, long at-bats against him. Fouled off a ton of pitches. Going to his player breakdown page here. Uh, Let's take a look here. 23 foul balls. So they fouled off a ton of stuff against him. That really, really ramps up that pitch count. And uh, so the final line on the day, uh, if he would have gone one more inning, I think we would have been okay with it. But he only lasts four innings, only gives up three hits, no earned runs, two walks, five strikeouts on 87 pitches. He's only hard hit twice, two times. So, like I said, if Gavin Williams could have gone a little deeper, I I think we would have been okay with it. Still still gave them four good innings. Like, there's nothing wrong with the four innings he pitched, except he couldn't seem to finish off at bats. Uh, going to the illustrator here, he did a better job of hitting the strike zone with that fastball. He was way more in the strike zone with that fastball. Still a big grouping of them up to the arm side of the plate, kind of up and off the plate. Those were mostly two right-handed batters. If I break this down, right-handed versus left-handed, there's a huge clump of those fastballs up and into right-handed batters. Clearly tried to pound the fastball in to the righties and then use the sweeper off of that. Or slider, I'm sorry. Every slider he threw uh, was to a right-handed batter. Um, and he did a good job. He could hit the strike zone with that, or he could leave it off the plate. So he did a good job with that. I have no problem with the location of that slider. Um, against the lefties, it's all fastballs, and now he's much more on the plate. He is kind of attacking that outside edge against the lefties and then mixing in the curveball and the changeup to go with it. So, I, you know, I don't really that's, – that's not a bad, uh, a bad combo right there. It's just, again – uh, he couldn't seem to put him away. He he got ahead, and if we go to the um, if we go to the count breakdown here, uh, he he really was working ahead. Most of the Guardians pitchers were working ahead on this day. One batter gets to two and zero. Nobody gets to three and zero off Gavin Williams. Ton of one two counts, two two counts, and but every so many guys make it to a full count. Now I can't tell you exactly how many because at this point, at two two counts, at three two counts, you know he, people fouling the ball off would keep you in that two two count. You could have multiple multiple pitches in a two two count and a three two count. So I can't tell you exactly how many hitters got to these counts, but I can tell you he threw a ton of pitches. He threw uh, twelve pitches in a two two count. 
He threw, let's see here, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 pitches in a 3-2 count. So really, really working to try to end these at-bats. Um, but uh, in the end, uh, it's a good day for the Guardians. It's it's a good day for the pitching staff. I, I got to say, they, they, they did their job. They limited damage, even though they really had to work. They're only able to put the fastball or the curveball in play. They didn't put one slider in play on eight swings. They did foul it off five times, and they whiffed three times. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but the average exit velocity off his fastball, which the velocity was... Okay, the average velocity was down, but he maxed out at 97.4. So he did, when he wanted to reach back, he could get it up there to 97.4, which is what we want to see from Gavin Williams. Um the average exit velocity off it was only 80.8. And the average exit velocity off his curveball, the uh, two they put in play was 72.5. So uh, it's an average exit velocity of 79.1 on the day. Real good job there uh, from Gavin Williams. So, again, if he had gone deeper in the game, I think uh, we would be feeling even better about it. But I'd say still pretty good job from Gavin Williams. So that's this game. We really handle the Royals. After, after you know, Kansas City jumps up, they get one on us in game one. We come back and we handle our business in game two and game three of this series. And we win another series. That's three in a row now. We're back to 500. We're still trailing Minnesota in the Central Division. But that's three series in a row now that we've been able to claim as a victory. So good job by your Guardians on this one. Okay, now this moves us into the Ahmed Rosario of it all. So Ahmed Rosario gets the day off, does get one last funny moment where uh, they cut to uh, Andre uh, not uh, sitting in his little uh, photo bay area there and trying to promote some food item. And he ends up giving a bite to Ahmed Rosario, Tristan McKenzie, hanging out there in the dugout. Uh, I wonder if Ahmed Rosario was out of this game because they knew the trade was coming because they were already talking to the Dodgers. Because uh, it would have been like two off days, and within four days, like it was a, it would have been a lot of. Usually, the guys in there every day. They've been playing him every single day, and uh, he gets traded for Noah Syndergaard, who at one time would have been a really impressive piece for the Guardians to get back. But Syndergaard has fallen on hard times ever since Tommy John surgery. Uh, he has uh, struggled. He struggled with the Angels. He struggled with the Phillies. Uh, in 2021, and then uh, he's struggled with the Dodgers this year before I believe he was uh, went down with, uh, was it a blister injury? Something else. Something's got him on rehab starts right now. But for the Dodgers this year, in 12 starts, he's 1-4 with a 7-16 ERA. Yikes. Yikes. He has uh, walked a, uh, he hasn't walked anybody. But everything else has been troublesome. Uh, if you go to a StatCast page, the expected batting average, everything is blue. Everything is blue. Expected batting average, 3rd percentile. Expected slugging, 6th. K percentage is down to the 5th percentile. The walk percentage is still in the 98th percentile. So he's not walking anybody. The whiff rate, 7th percentile. It's it's not good. It's been a really rough season for Noah Syndergaard. And we could say the same thing. For Ahmed Rosario, right? I mean, the the expected batting average is high, 81st percentile. But the expected weighted on base percentage is 31st. Expected slugging, 31st. Barrel percentage is 8th. Chase rate is 6th. Uh, 
Although whiff rate is 59th, that's always a thing about him, right? It's weird. Uh, and he's still got that sprint speed at 95th percentile. But defensively, Ahmed Rosario has been absolutely terrible. First percentile and outs above average. So the big defensive metric on StatCast here, he is in the first percentile. He's been bad defensively. So what what is this trade, right? What is this trade? It, it's not a win-win situation for both teams. At, at, at best, it's a sure, why not scenario for both teams. Like, basically, we needed to unload Ahmed Rosario. He's going to be a free agent. We need to play these young guys at shortstop. So we give him to the Dodgers. And the Dodgers, in return, go, look, we, we can't do anything with Noah Syndergaard. It's not working. We paid him too much money. Someone please take this guy off our hands. Uh, we don't want him pitching for us anymore. And we said, look, we got a lot of injured pitchers. We need somebody who can eat some innings for us. If he's ready to come back from this injury, we'll take him off your hands. Do the Guardians pitching staff think maybe they could figure out what's wrong with him? Like his velocity hasn't been there uh, since he was a younger pitcher with the Mets. So, I don't know. Maybe the Guardians pitching staff thinks, yeah, there's something there we can work with. We think we can get that ERA under 7. Maybe. But at this point, it really felt like both teams were just doing each other a favor. Right? And just ending the conversation. We don't have to worry about Ahmed Rosario playing shortstop anymore. We now can play our young guys. And that's really the key to this trade. It opens the door for first Gabriel Arias. And Tyler Freeman, and then possibly Brian Rocchio, uh, who apparently is on a hit streak and absolutely mashing at Columbus right now. It's also a question of, we, we didn't have any answers. I don't think there was a press conference or anything with Antonetti. Don't forget, Andres Jimenez defensively is like an elite shortstop. So, if Tyler Freeman wins the playing I feel like Freeman has played more second base than Gabriel Arias. Arias seems to be more short in third and right field. Uh, if Freeman wins the playing time battle over Arias, does Freeman play second? And uh, does Jimenez move back to his natural position as shortstop? It's weird to say because Jimenez has been a former all-star at second base. Obviously, uh, Andres Jimenez has had a bit of a step back this season. We can all admit that even though I think there's still a lot to love about Andres Jimenez, and I think he's going to be worth that contract we gave him. Um, unlike, say, maybe a mile straw. Uh, I think it's going to be worth it. But does he move back to shortstop? We haven't heard. We we don't know. I'm, I guess, based on what they've done on the days uh, where Ahmed Rosario has rested and Jimenez has stayed at second base and one of those young guys has played short, I'm guessing that's what's going to happen moving forward, but we will find out when that lineup card comes out for tonight's game in Chicago. Uh, the one thing I like, I like is that with a right-handed bat pitcher on the mound, Andres Jimenez is hitting second. I talked about that in the offseason. I said Jimenez has got to be up there. You got to move him up there into the top of the lineup. It's ridiculous to have that guy batting seventh. And against a righty, it makes sense. You can you can stack your lefties up there. Don't worry about the bullpen. Don't worry about that. Go beat that starter. So you go Quan, Jimenez. You get the switch hitter in Ramirez and Naylor. 
Then Brennan hitting fifth. Man, they went five lefties in a row uh, at the top of the lineup with the switch hitter in there in the middle. Uh, so don't be afraid to do that. On days where it's a lefty on the mound, you can move Andres Jimenez down. You have the freedom to do that. Uh, you can get uh, Tyler Freeman or Gabriel Arias up there in that two-hole. I guess that would make the most sense. I don't see David Fry hitting second just because he's looked at as more of an RBI guy than, say, a Freeman or an Arias at this point. So I, I would assume Fry is going to stay around five or six in the lineup when he's in there. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm guessing maybe Tyler Freeman would jump up to that two-hole against a left-handed pitcher. So we will see what Francona does moving forward. Will he show the flexibility, or or is it the front office making that decision? Who knows? Uh, show the flexibility to uh, have a lineup like that, have their lefty lineup and their righty lineup. But either way, we now get to see who could possibly emerge as the shortstop of the future. You got a lot of candidates here, and they're going to finally get playing time over the last two-plus months. It's exciting. It's really exciting. And we'll say this to kind of eulogize Ahmed Rosario's time in Cleveland. Sure. The the defense wasn't always spectacular. The, uh, the power never really developed. But the things we can say about Ahmed Rosario, number one, he always hustled. That guy was giving you 110% on the base paths. He always played the game hard. He was a great teammate. He was a leader in the clubhouse. When I reflect back on the Francisco Lindor trade, I think I'm always going to think positively about it. I am. I I think we won that trade. I do. Don't forget there's some young guys down in the minors still that haven't even haven't even come close to sniffing the majors. That could. That could. That It's not because they're playing terrible. It's because they were very young when we were included in that trade. So there's some more guys that could still sway you know, the value of that trade if they make it to the majors. But Jimenez has, I think Jimenez is going to be a fantastic Cleveland Guardian for the next few years. And Ahmed Rosario gave you everything he can. At times, Ahmed Rosario was better than Francisco Lindor. I'll say it. At times, he was better. Now, what could the Dodgers be seeing in him? Well, they have a ton. I I don't understand. The one thing you could say about Ahmed Rosario is he's been hitting left-handed pitching. This season, he's hitting 303 against lefties with an 822 OPS. Why Cleveland never thought to just put this guy in a freaking platoon makes no sense to me. But no, they didn't platoon him. I mean, they had all they had was right-handed shortstops behind him. So I guess who is he going to platoon with? But it would make sense if this guy was in a platoon and he only had to face lefties for the rest of the season. That's how you maximize his value. Against righties, it's a 617 OPS. Against lefties, it's an 822. That's a huge difference. But I look at the Los Angeles Dodgers depth chart, and all they got are right-handed middle infielders. They just got Enrique Hernandez, Kiki Hernandez back from Boston, right-hander. Chris Taylor, who also plays left field for them, right-hander. Uh, yeah, Yoni Hernandez is apparently a switch hitter. Uh, and then they've got uh, Max Muncy, who plays... Mostly third. He's your le- he's your one lefty. Him and Freddie Freeman are your lefties on the infield. Freeman clearly locked in at first base. And then Miguel Rojas has been starting at short. He's also a right-handed hitter. 
So who are you platooning him with? What's your plan here, L.A.? Um, or are you just going to start him every day at shortstop because Miguel Rojas, frankly, hasn't been that good for them. I, I, I looked up the Dodgers really quick just to see, like, all right, what was the lineup they used yesterday? And uh, this is not a Dodgers lineup that's been absolutely mashing. I mean, uh, Max Muncy's hitting 197, but with an 807 OPS, so clearly still has his power. Uh Kiki Hernandez is only hitting 226 and a 603 OPS. Uh, he was playing second base for them. Miguel Rojas was hitting eighth. Uh, he's only hitting 221 with a 547 OPS. So maybe Ahmed Rosario is an upgraded shortstop for them. Now, will they be batting him second? No, they're not going to do something that silly. I my guess is he goes in and hits eighth for Miguel Rojas here. So uh, we'll see uh, how Ahmed Rosario does going back to the National League. Uh, but uh, I will say, uh, part of me will miss him. Part of me will absolutely miss him. Uh, and then part of me is really, really glad that this is over. Uh, as people were calling it on Twitter, the Ahmed Wars are over. Uh, we can stop arguing about him. Instead, we can start arguing about which young guy is our favorite to take over at shortstop. Frankly, right now, I'm I'm kind of leaning towards Tyler Freeman. But Gabriel Arias... Uh, you know, people were saying like, if we trade him, I'm, I'm really worried about what he's going to develop into just like Yandy Diaz down at Tampa Bay. People are really worried about giving up on Gabriel Arias too soon. And I have to agree. I mean, when he makes contact, he can smoke the ball. He can hit the ball really hard. And, uh, I do want to see what he can develop into, uh, here in a Cleveland uniform. So a lot of options still. Could they still package some middle infielders and go for a corner outfield bat? Maybe. Maybe, maybe that's still the plan. Uh is making himself look really good in a possible trade scenario. So uh, we'll see what Cleveland comes up with. There's still a few days left as this trade deadline appears. And we'll see what Noah Syndergaard can do. Can, can, he, can he pitch a little better than a 7-16 ERA? Hopefully. Hopefully when he gets here to Cleveland... They can get these. Uh, they can get these really bad blue numbers on his percentile rankings up just a little bit. So uh, we did get some emails in the inbox. Uh, you know, Marlon, of course, reacting to the game. Uh, he uh, he was impressed with the offense as well, although he was worried about the bullpen. Uh, he said each pitcher was bad. I thought the offensive output would help them relax, but none of them had clean innings. De Los Santos was the only bullpen pitcher who didn't give up multiple hits, but had some loud outs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, uh, they did their job at least, right, Marlon? They, they, you know, an 8-3 to three lead was a big enough cushion. Uh, I could survive with a pitching staff that gives up three runs or less, right? We should be able to win games if the entire pitching staff as a whole only gives up three runs, I think. Um, he did have uh, comments on the trade. Marlon said, as far as the trade goes, I wanted to give a quick thought on the Guardians acquiring Thor for Ahmed Rosario. If if you don't know, Noah Syndergaard's nickname is Thor. I'm sure everybody knows that. I'm glad they freed up shortstop for Arias Freeman and Rokio. I appreciated Ahmed and wish him well moving forward. Yeah, I think that's just the feeling of all Cleveland fans. However, I'm shocked they picked up Thor, who's been awful this season. In fact, he hasn't been the same since 2018. I'm concerned because if the Dodgers couldn't help him, I don't know if Cleveland can. Again, I'm going to reiterate that 
I, I think this is a situation where both teams looked at each other and said, can you please take this guy off my hands for me? I think that's the situation here. So I don't think many people were knocking down the door for Ahmed Rosario. And I think Cleveland at this point really, really wants some depth in their pitching staff. So to get an established major league pitcher, they said, okay, sure, this is better than nothing. I don't think Cleveland's excited about getting a damaged Noah Syndergaard, a Noah Syndergaard who's having his worst season yet. I I don't think they're excited about that. I just, I think, I think they're figured it's better than nothing, right? And he can at least, if, if we're not going to make the playoffs, he can at least help us get there and take a little bit of the inning burden off of our rookie pitchers. And with everybody hurt, we needed somebody. It, it was that or, you know, comp one of those guys from the minors who haven't been that great. It was that or Zach Plesak's coming back, right? So, uh, yeah, Marlon, I, I understand how you're feeling. It's just uh, they did what they had to do, I guess. And uh, Tony also had some thoughts. Uh, he emailed in. Tony said, I'm thankful they traded Rosario to create space for the younger guys. With that being said, the guy gave 100% every day, and I will never forget that. Yep, Tony, I think that's the sentiment we're going to leave this episode on. MVP on the day. Did you think I was going to forget again? No, I'm on it. MVP on the day. Clearly, Jose Ramirez. At this point, if you hit a multi-home run game, you are locking down MVP on the day in my book. Two games in a row. First, Bo Naylor. Now, Jose Ramirez. I'm also disappointed that Bo Naylor wasn't in here, right, in the lineup to be able to... Uh, uh, you know, respond to his multi-home run game and see if he could keep the momentum going. Uh, Francona did say that he expects him to play more and more behind the plate as the season goes on. Uh, and we're facing a bunch of righties coming up, he said, so we'll see him a lot. But, I mean, you can't argue. Both Fry, you know, Ramirez gets the DH day with a multi-home run game. Fry gets catcher. He has a two-run home run. I guess we can't argue with that there. Uh, but Jose Ramirez clearly the MVP on the day, driving this, leading this offense. So great job by Jose. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from Cleveland. It's the Guardians 8, the Royals 3. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Marlon has been our best, most reliable emailer, and you can be too. You can jump in with your thoughts on the game. You can jump in with your thoughts on trades. It's easy. Snap off an email to clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com, and we'll discuss it on the show. Also, I am hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.